Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Hey, I'm, I am so excited to be here with you guys today. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark chapter 1. Hey, uh, I, I don't know everyone decided to sleep in today. We're a little light here at the 930 today, but that's okay. But here's what I need. I need y'all to, to, to help me preach. Can you do that? When you guys are, are excited, when you talk back, I preach better, okay? So, so help me out today on a light Sunday. So I, uh, I'm really excited to be continuing this Mark series. If, if you're new here, we're so glad you're here. We've actually been going through the book of Mark verse by verse. This is something we do. Uh, we go through books of the Bible, and so we are going through a journey, the book of Mark verse by verse. And it's going to take us two years. We're digging in that much. So I think we're in week seven or eight right now, and uh, we're almost to the end of chapter one. So I hope you guys have been enjoying it. Today we're reading from Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 45. I love the book of Mark because it's like a, a action-packed version uh, of the story of Jesus. It's a, it's a powerful uh, story of Jesus. As we look at the Gospel of Mark, this was the account of Peter, Peter the Apostle, one of the three that was closest to Jesus. He gave his account to Mark. Mark was his son in the faith, and Mark wrote it down. He penned it, and that's why we call this Gospel Mark. And uh, this is a fast-paced uh, Gospel. You know, some of the other Gospels are a little longer. They take a little more time. But Mark, man, he just gets to the point. Peter had wasn't wasting any time. And they just, boom, they hit on each story quickly and rapidly uh, multiple times. In fact, over 40 times we see in the book of Mark, he says immediately, immediately, immediately. There's a lot of things happening. And so I love this book of the Bible. I believe God has been speaking to us through it. And here's what we believe. The, re the reason we titled this series Marked by Jesus is because when we meet Jesus, when we get to know Jesus, when we learn about Jesus, we are marked permanently. We are changed. There is a shift that happens in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. And so today, as we look at Mark 1, 40 through 45, I want to talk to you about God's will. Everybody say God's will. The title of my message is The Willingness of God's Will. You know, in college I had a few friends and, and they had this pickup line. They'd walk up to a girl and, and they'd never met her and they'd say, hi, I'm Will. God's Will. You know, and they, they're trying to, to make this move on, on this lady. But I remember when I was actually uh, in, in, I was just out of college. I was a, a, my first year in seminary. And I was really close friends with this family, and I was mentoring this junior high boy. I was, uh, you know, investing into his life, pouring into his life, spending time with him, discipling him in the Word of God. And that's really how I got my start in ministry, man, hanging out with stinky junior high boys. And uh, I had a group of five that was like my small group, and I taught them every week. And then I'd hang out with them individually. But one of them um, I invested a little more in, and I spent a lot of time with this young man. And uh, really help disciple him and, and walk him, you know, in, in his journey of faith as an eighth grader, right, that, that's struggling in, in his identity. But he had an older sister who was just a couple years younger than me. And I would hang out with the family and I became close with their family. And, um, you know, I just always saw her as a, as a sister and uh, as a friend. And one day she said, hey, can, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And so we went outside. I was at their house and she said, hey, I just wanted to tell you that God told me I was supposed to marry you. And I said, well, he ain't told me yet, girl. So, 
you better keep praying. And uh, let me tell you, he never spoke to me, all right? And uh, she's now married. I'm thankful for that for her. And uh, But it was one of those moments where she essentially was saying, like, God's will is for you to marry me. You know, like, God told me that I'm supposed to marry. Now, you got to be very careful when you throw out phrases like, God told me. Especially as it relates to not just you, but someone else in the situation. And so I think that when it comes to God's will, uh, this is probably the number one question I get as a pastor is, Caleb, like, how do I determine God's will for my life? How do I figure out God's will for my future? How do I figure out God's will in this relationship? God's will in, in this job? God's will, you know, for my future? We're always looking for and struggling with and grasping for, like, what is God's will? And I think it's a difficult, you know, a a difficult and nuanced idea of God's will. So what I want to do today is we're going to read this story, and I believe that we really see and have get some insight in this little section of Mark into how to approach God's will. And so what I'm going to give you today is some how-to's of approaching God's will. I hope this helps you guys. I hope it helps you in life, um, in your journey. Some of you are single people. Where are my single people at? Raise your hand. Okay, this is your chance. Look around. Keep your hand up. Look around. Take a sneak peek. All all right. Where are my married people at? Make some noise. Okay, listen. uh, We all need to figure out God's will for our life. It's not just about relationships. It's about a lot of things. And so I believe this is going to help us. It's going to give us some clarity today. Let's read Mark chapter 1, starting in verse number 40. And a leper came to him, being to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So I want to talk to you today about God's will. I want to talk to you about the willingness of God's will. Now, I love this little, as I was reading this, you know, God zeroed me in, and if you had a, if you have a pen or if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. And, uh, I got to this point where the leper comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, if you will, you can. Did you see that? I'd encourage you to underline that. If you will, you can. And I wanted to tell you today, because somebody needs to hear this, is Jesus will because he can. When it comes to the will of God, you have to understand that we have a God that can don't we? We have a God that has all the power, all the authority, all the strength in the world. And some of you are waiting and you're doubting. You're saying, well, he hasn't done it because he can't. But I want you to know that our timing is not always God's timing. 
And so we need to first begin to understand and, and embrace and grab hold of the fact that our God can. That Jesus can. Everybody say right now, say, he can. Say it again, say, he can. Say, Jesus can. Jesus can. He can. And so we got to grab hold of that first, that he can. But the side of it that we don't know about is, will he? As in, is it according to his will? So this leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And so I want to jump in here today. I want to talk to you about the how-tos of approaching God's will. So first I want to start by how you should come to God, come to your Savior when it comes to seeking God's will for your life. Because I think a lot of us are like, okay, I want God's will. I want to know God's will. But it starts with how we come to him. You have to come to him in a right way to practically grab hold of and understand his will. So first is you have to come to Jesus. Did you see that? I mean, I know you're like, Caleb, this is basic stuff. Yes, it is. And yet so often we go to the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong uh, instances. We're going all around the world trying to find the will, the best will for our life. But some of us aren't going to the source. We're not going first and foremost to Jesus. If you're going to approach God's will, if you want God's will, it's got to start by you going and coming to Jesus. This leper understood this. The first thing he does is he goes to Jesus. He goes straight to the source. He goes straight to the healer, straight to the Savior. He comes to Jesus. He says, if you will, I know you can. You have to come to Jesus to receive from Jesus. Did you know that? If you're going to receive from Jesus, you have to come to Jesus. I think a lot of us are wanting to receive from Jesus, but we never come to him. A lot of us want to hear from Jesus, but we never show up to church. Or we come maybe once every couple months. And then we go, man, why am I not hearing from God? Why am I not hearing from Jesus? Why am I not hearing his voice? We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time in his word. We don't make church a priority. We don't make his presence a priority. And we wonder why we're not receiving from him. You know, in order to get something from Jesus, you have to come to Jesus. You have to go to him first in all situations, all circumstances. Here's what I see. I see a lot of people in this world are desperate. They're desperate for something, that missing piece in their life. They're desperate for purpose. They're desperate to feel fulfilled. And so what they do is they go and they try to fill that gap and fill that void in all these other places. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for God's will. But, but we're off, often looking in the wrong places. And we're going to the wrong people. And we're trying to fill these gaps. I want to tell you, if you want to receive from Jesus, you have to come to Jesus. You aren't going to find God's will in astrology, in mediums, palm readers. I want to tell you something. You're not even going to find God's will from other Christians. I think that in the church, we've been guilty of going to other Christians before we go to our Savior. 
that we go, well, I mean, they're a mentor in my life and they have insight into God's will. And, and, and so before we ever go to Jesus, before we ever ask Jesus, before we ever get on our knees to Jesus, before we ever get in God's word, we go to a person and we say, I need you to tell me God's will for my life. Let me, let me tell you, God's given them something on them and he's put things in them. But you have to start with going to him first. He's your source. You go to him, and then if he says, yeah, go talk to that person. Go have a conversation with this individual. He may speak through them, but it has to start with him. Why? Because man is limited. But God contains unlimited power. Our Savior has no limits. Our Savior is unlimited. And yet we often go to limited people to instill and speak into his will over our life. We have to go to Jesus first. Come to Jesus first. You know, the leper coming to Jesus was hard. And I don't know if you, you have studied much about lepers, but leprosy is a horrible, horrible disease. And it's a disease that attacks your nerves, your nerve endings, your nervous system. The reason that, that lepers often begin to lose fingers and, and body parts begin to fall off, it, it's often because they injure themselves over and over, and they don't know it. So when you can't feel your extremities, when you can't feel your fingers, right, when you can't feel your toes, you injure yourself, and, and, and these things begin to, be, to get wounded, and then they get, they get infected, and then they get worse and worse. It attacks the nervous system. It attacks the cells. It attacks the skin. So, I mean, leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease, if you got leprosy in this day, it was a death sentence. We actually, when we look at historians, what they say, they say lepers were considered dead men walking. When people saw lepers, they ran. Lepers would have to, when they walked through towns, which they really weren't supposed to, but they often would if they were traveling from one place to another, they would have to walk shouting unclean so that people could scatter away from them. Why? Because if you touched a leper, there was a good chance you were going to get and contract leprosy. Nobody touched lepers. No one went near lepers. Lepers were not invited in. They were not welcome in. They were not welcome in crowds of people. No, you, if you were a leper, you were put in a colony of lepers or you were ostracized by yourself. They were dead men walking. And I think that for them, and for a leper to come to Jesus, this would have been difficult. This would have been a leper met with people yelling and, and, and telling them to leave and to go. And, and I'm sure the disciples are around and, the, and Jesus is, you know, he's in desolate places, but he's still teaching. And people are coming to him and throngs of people are coming. It says people are coming from every quarter. That means every part of the area. People were coming to Jesus and this leper had to walk through all of them. This was not an easy journey. Not only that, but his body would have been falling apart. His body would have been breaking down. It would have been painful. It would have been awful. And I wanted to say this, but I think there's somebody in this place that coming to Jesus for you has been hard. There's someone in this room and you would say, you know, me coming to Jesus is hard. And, and often it's because of your past. It's because of what you've done. It's because of what you did last night, maybe even. It's because of what you walked through in your life. And you come to Jesus and you say, I feel like a dead man walking. 
I feel like a dead woman walking. You come to Jesus and it's difficult for you to come to Jesus because you're filled with shame and you're filled with guilt and you're filled with pain and you're filled with things from your past. You're filled with, with issues from your present. And so coming to Jesus is difficult for you. But I wanted to tell you that you can come to Jesus no matter what. We have a Savior that invites you to himself just as you are. He doesn't say, go get clean, then come to me. He doesn't say, go work on your issues, then you can approach me. He doesn't say, get your stuff worked out, and then I'll touch you. No, he says, come just as you are. With all your issues, with all your drama, with all your baggage, right, with all your chaos, come to me as you are, and I'm willing to touch you. That's the Savior that we serve. A Savior that invites you to himself just as you are. I know there's someone here today that maybe you came to church and this was hard. And maybe you're in this room and you're saying, it's hard for me to approach Jesus because of all the stuff, all the baggage. I wanted you to know that the Savior that we serve, he invites you just as you are, just where you are. He loves you right now at this very moment. He loves you on your best day and he loves you on your worst day. But we have to come to him first. If we're going to learn God's will, approach God's will, figure out God's will, we have to come to Jesus, number one. Second today. We have to come with humility. Everybody say humble. Say sit down. I'm just joking. Be humble. Okay. Verse 40. It says the leper comes to him imploring him and kneeling before him. You know when I, when I hear that word implore... And I looked it up in the Greek, and this word has this connotation of desperation. It says that he implored Jesus. He kneeled before Jesus. There is this desperation that's attached to this man as he comes to the Savior. You know, I was up. Recently, I was, I was reading and I was studying and I was looking at like athletes, professional athletes. And I read this article and it was talking about athletes and the high percentage of athletes that come from a, a lower income background. A higher uh, percentage of athletes that come from, you know, less well-privileged backgrounds and well-privileged communities and well-privileged. Well and I was reading about it and I was like, man, well, like why is it that a higher percentage of professional athletes come from less privileged backgrounds, less privileged communities. What is the difference? And I was reading in the article, they said there's something different about these athletes because there's a desperation attached to them. You see, there's a desperation. They're desperate to change their circumstances. They're desperate to change their upbringing and say, I don't want the upbringing of my children to be the same as the upbringing that I had. I don't want what my my family experienced to be what they continue to experience in their future. And there's this desperation attached to these athletes that are coming from underprivileged communities. I think that some of us who grew up in the church, we lose the desperation. I just got to be real with you. You know, I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. My dad was just up here. And I think there were moments in my life when I lost the desperation because I began to think like, oh, this is just how it is. Like, yeah, we just serve Jesus and everything's good. 
You know, like, I'm a sinner saved by grace since five years old. (laughs) And I remember there being a shift when I was in college, when I began to read and I began to study, I began to learn about God's word, and I began to see that all of us are sinners, separated from God and destined for death. But that I had a Savior that came and he rescued me. And it doesn't matter if you were a sinner saved at 5 or a sinner saved at 35. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we all need to have a desperation for our Savior. A desperation for his presence. And I saw, and as I'm reading this, I'm looking at this, this leper who comes to Jesus and there was a desperation, wasn't there? But how could there not be a desperation? He's a dead man walking. His life is on the edge. It's on the cusp. It's moments away from ending. Most likely lepers didn't live that long. And their, their life was not good. It was not enjoyable. Right? Their quality of life was extremely low for the few years that they had. And so this man comes to Jesus desperate. I think we need to, in the church, get desperate for the presence of God once again. And I know some of you have been following God for decades, but we need to get desperate for our Savior. You want to know why? Because we all are sinners separated by sin, but restored by grace through the Son, Jesus Christ. We need to get desperate for Him, desperate for more of Him. Why? Because He saved us. Because He changed us. And I want to encourage you, I want to implore you, I want to ask you to come tonight. As we cry out to God, I believe there needs to be a rise of desperation in the church. You want to know why? Because it's not just about you. It's about a city and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that don't know God, that don't know our Savior, that are dead men walking, and we turn our eye and we yell unclean even in the church at people that don't know Jesus, and all the while they're destined for death, and yet we have the, we have the answer. We know where life comes from. And so I need our church to get desperate, desperate to say, we're going to cry out to God. Why? Because when we cry out to God, God moves. When we believe for greater things, God acts. When we cry out for our city, God can begin to change and shift things in the hearts of man. We need to be desperate. This leper comes desperate. He comes kneeling. There was this sign of humility. I think a lot of us, uh, you know, and I'm guilty of this, I I was raised in the church, and sometimes I come to God entitled. Like, oh, I just deserve this. Like, I just get this. I deserve the grace that I have. You know, my kids, um, every Friday we do this thing, and I started this. Uh, My wife is not a great fan of it, but that's okay. We have Slurpee Fridays. And so I pick them up from school every Friday, and uh, I take them to 7-Eleven and we get Slurpees. And that's like our ritual. We've been doing that for the last two years. And my wife the other day was like, why don't we do something like healthier? Like we could all go for like acai bowls after Friday. And I'm like, because that's not fun for kids. You know, like they're four, five, and seven. They don't want an acai bowl. So I had to, you know, teach her about children. She's still learning, guys. But (laughs) she's not here. I can say this. Um. But the other day, I, on Friday actually, I picked them up and I needed gas. And so I needed gas. So instead of going to 7-Eleven right by their school, I was like, oh, we'll go to Arco and I'll get them Slurpees at Arco because I could get gas and Slurpees. Come on, somebody. 
And, uh, and so I drive by 7-Eleven, and they immediately, all three of them, like, go into a panic. And they're like, Dad, oh, my God. They're, like, crying. It's Fridays. You drove right by 7-Eleven. It's Slurpee Fridays. What are you doing? And they're, like, yelling at me. And they're, like, in a panic. And I'm like, y'all need to calm down. We're going to Arco where there's Slurpees because I need gas. Two in one stop. And I'm explaining to them. And, uh, and I had this moment of, like, dude, my kids have become entitled to Slurpee Fridays. And so I had to have a real talk with them. I said, listen, guys, this is a reward for a great week of school. You guys worked hard all week. I reward you. But if daddy doesn't want to give you Slurpees, you ain't getting Slurpees. And so I almost didn't give them Slurpees Friday, but I'm a sucker. And I was like, all right, we can go get them. And I still got them Slurpees. But, man, I think a lot of us are coming to God entitled. We're coming to God's will entitled. And when we don't get what we ask for, we throw little tantrums like my children, little fits. And, and God may be saying, hey, I actually have a better place in store for you. I actually have a better thing in store for you. In fact, I'm going to actually do a two-for-one stop where you're going to get gas and Slurpees. It's going to be even better. And yet a lot of us, we throw tantrums because we're entitled to what we believe God should do for us. When I want to tell you that God knows better than you know. God knows what's best for your life more than you know what's best for your life. And he's going to give it in his timing, in the perfect timing, in the right timing. Listen, if God gave me everything I asked for in my timing, my life would not be right. My life would not be where it is today. And so I want to tell you, you got to trust in God's will. Say, God, I'm going to ask for this, but I'm going to trust your will. I'm going to ask for this, but I'm going to trust that you know better than I know. Come with humility. You know, I love that this leper comes. He says, if you will, I know you can. But he still put it on Jesus. There was a humility. I think too many of us are approaching God's will with a do it now because I asked for it and I deserve it. Instead of God, if you will, I know you can, but I trust you either way. I trust you if you do it today or you do it in 10 years. I trust you if you give me that spouse next week or in, te or in 10 years. I'm like, I don't know if I can say amen to that. We have to approach him, his will with humility. Third, we have to approach his will believing. Everybody say believe. I love that he says, you can make me clean in verse number 40. You can. You can. The leper believed. He knew Jesus could. It was just a matter of if he would. It was a matter of Jesus' willingness, of God's will. And he said, if you will, I know you can. I think a lot of us are, are trying to make deals with God in, in God's will. You ever do this? You're like, God, if you just give this to me, I'll go to church every week for the next year straight. I promise you, God. I promise you. And a lot of us are trying to make, like, deals with God. We go, God, I'll serve you wholeheartedly. I've been holding back a little. But wholeheartedly I'll serve you. But you got to make this girl my wife. Like, do that and then I'm all in, God. I'm with you. I'm all in. A lot of us are making deals with God. And I want to tell you, God is not motivated by your deals. He's not motivated, not only that, but he's not even motivated more by your passion or empathy. I think that God is motivated by himself. Now hear me in this. God is motivated by his own goodness. He's motivated by his own mercy. He's motivated by his own love. 
He's motivated by his own compassion. And some of you are trying to convince God to do what you want for your life. And I'm here to tell you, he is a good, good father. He wants to give you what's best for your life. We have to trust and come believing that he knows, that he wants, that he has what's best for us. We have to approach God's will believing. And some of us believe that we are more empathetic than God is. We believe that we know better than God does. We believe that we have more compassion than our Savior does. And I'm here to tell you, he is the most compassionate, most loving, most mercy-filled, most justice-focused. He wants the best for your life. So come believing. Believing in him. Romans 5.8 says this, God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you see that? I said earlier, some of you have had a hard time coming to Jesus because of your past. But this says that when you were still a sinner, he died for you. This says that even in the middle of your mess, he gave his life for you. This says in the midst of chaos and bad choices. How many made bad choices in your life before? I know I have. That Christ died for me in the middle of that bad choice. That he loves me as I am. He accepts, accepts me just how I am. We have to come to him believing. Believing that he has the best intentions for us. Believing that he wants more for us. That he will fulfill his will in our lives in his timing. You know, I think that we come to, uh, uh, we approach God's will, we come in different ways. But I also think there's an there's a aspect of this about how you walk away once you've received God's will for your life. You know what I'm saying? Like we come to him, we're like, God, I, I need your will for my life. I need, my will, I need your will for my life. I need your will for my life. I need your will for my life. And so we come to God. And then there comes this moment. You ever had that moment where like he gives you his will? Like he gave me my wife. And uh, I, I didn't get married straight out of college, so I was going, God, where are you? How could you do this to me? I'm like 26 years old. I'm not married yet, right? And, and then he gave me my wife. And I think there's this moment when we, we receive it, and now we're like leaving with God's will in our life. But how we leave matters too. Did you know that? How we walk in God's will matters too. So here's what I see from this passage. That we need to leave thankful. Everybody say Thankful. Verse 44, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. You see, we have to respond in thankfulness to the blessings of God when we receive the will of God in our life. You know, I've said it to our church before that a lot of us are living the prayers we used to pray many years ago. And, and the miracles that we now live as our norm has become just that. It's become norm. And so if you really thought back to your life like 10 years ago, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm living out what I used to pray for and I'm not even, even thankful for it. In fact, I now complain about it. Like I complain about my kids. I used to pray for these children. I've received them and now I complain about them. 
We have to live thankful. So leave thankful and live thankful. Walk in thankfulness. What does Jesus tell the, the leper to do? He says, go to the temple, go to the priest, and offer a sacrifice. And go through the process so that he can declare you clean. Because he'd been ostracized, he's been pushed out of the community, so the priest had to be like, all right, you good. I don't see sores, I don't see leprosy, I don't see anything on you. But he had to go and make a, a, a sacrifice. He had to go through the process of thankfulness. I think too many of us receive God's will and then we walk away with it and we forget to say thank you. There's another story in the Gospels where ten lepers come to Jesus, he heals them all and only one comes back and says thank you. May we be the one. That we constantly are walking in an attitude of gratitude, a spirit of thankfulness that says, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the miracles that I'm now walking. I, I remember this last Christmas, my sister, she was, uh, she flew down from Seattle with her husband and, and she sent so many presents for my children. And she's, you know, she's a proud auntie and at the time they didn't have any kids, they just had a baby eight weeks ago. But my kids were calling her the crazy present lady because they had piles on piles, right, racks on racks of presents. If the band would come back, we're going to close right now. And uh, I remember her, uh, as they begin to open present after present, there was this moment where after four or five, they stopped even like saying thank you or being excited about it. And it was like open it, throw it to the side, open another one. I don't know if you've ever seen kids roll like this. But there was this thankfulness that left because of the outpouring of the love of my sister. And I think that a lot of us in this life are, are like my children. And, and the will of God has become such a blessing, an outpouring. You, you all are more blessed than you know. You are more blessed than you probably often acknowledge. It's like, I don't know, Caleb. No, just start thinking about it. You're more blessed, and you're actually open present after present, but there comes this moment where like, oh my goodness, God, you've blessed me again. And there comes this moment where it just becomes normal. We stop being thankful. We got to walk in God's will with a thankfulness, with a, with a gratitude that carries with us that every day we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you that I have clothes on my back. Thank you I had a roof over my head. Thank you for the relationship you've given me. Thank you for the job that I have. Thank you to have money in my bank account. It may not be enough, but I got something. Thank you. Leave thankful and last, we got to leave obedient. Jesus tells him sternly. Did you see that when I read it? This is kind of a weird part of the story. And, and I've read this a lot of times. I never understood exactly what was happening. And I actually was like, so did Jesus not know that he was going to respond this way? But I believe Jesus knew. He knew. In fact, it's very strong language in the Greek that Jesus uses. When he challenges him sternly, he says, don't tell everyone about this. I believe Jesus told him this because physical healing was not Jesus' goal. Did you know that? He did not come to this earth just to heal people physically. He came to this earth to heal people spiritually. He came to this earth to change the world. The physical healing was just a manifestation of his power, but it wasn't his goal. 
It was an opportunity to show who he was so that he could transform and heal them spiritually. Jesus, it says, ends up in the desolate place. Did you see that? It says that Jesus ends up in the desolate place because he can't go into anywhere. He can't even openly enter a town because the throngs of people that have heard about this miracle worker, about this physical healing that he does. And I think that this is an example of the gospel. You see, he ends up in the desolate place where the leper was. Did you see that? Essentially, Jesus takes the place of the leper. The leper was in a desolate place, but now Jesus is in a desolate place. The leper was in a desolate place. Now Jesus says, I'll take your place. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took your sin so that you could be covered, so that you could no longer be identified with and covered by that sin. He washed you clean. You see, Jesus was moved with compassion for this man. He stretches out his hand and he touches him. Now, I want you to hear this because I believe this is maybe the most important moment of this story that Jesus has a leper come to him, which would have been crazy in this day. I mean, this is unprecedented. Lepers don't come up to, to normal people. And this leper comes to him and says, if you will, I know you can. And it says, Jesus moved with compassion. He reaches out his hand and he touches him. And he says, I am willing, I will be clean. This would have made Jesus unclean by Jewish standards. At this moment, knowing that Jesus had touched a leper, he would have been also cast away because they would have been like, it's just a matter of time before Jesus gets leprosy too. The question of willingness is shattered by Jesus' touch. It is shattered by the touch of our Savior. If you will, you can. Here's what I wanted you to hear today, church. One thing, Jesus is willing. Did you hear me? Jesus is willing. He's willing to go into your mess. He's willing to reach out his hand. He's willing to touch you at your lowest point. He's willing to touch your sin, to touch your desperation, to touch your pain. Jesus is willing. All you got to do is come to him. We serve a willing Savior. You hear me? So when it comes to knowing the will of God, I want to just challenge you, encourage you today that you would come to him because you have a willing God. Not only can he, but will he. He will. He is willing. Jesus is willing. Somebody say that with me. Say, Jesus is willing. Say it again. Say, Jesus is willing. He's willing to touch you right where you are in your mess, in your struggle in your pain. Would you bow your heads with me across this place? Somebody in this room needs to respond to Jesus. If you're here, you say, Caleb, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need him to touch me. 
Maybe you've been walking through a struggle. Maybe you've ran from God. You've turned from God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life. You felt like that person that couldn't come to the Savior because of how messy your past is, how much sin, how much brokenness is on you. But today you heard that there's a willing Savior that will touch you no matter what's on you, no matter where you've been, no matter your past. If you're in this room, you say, Caleb, that's me. I need Jesus to touch me. I need Jesus to come into my life. I need to recommit my life to this Savior today. I've been running. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. If that's you, you need Jesus. Yes, yes, I see those couple hands. Yes, over there, I see that hand. You guys can put them down. Can we stand to our feet across this place, church? Let's sing this as a declaration to our Savior that we have a willing God, a willing Savior that meets us right where we are. Come on, sing with us, church. We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.